Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All okay. right, so I'm here with Doug. Uh, Doug, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know how you're in business and how you started the, the current business you're in. Uh, but I want to start from the early beginning. So let's let's start from like w- when you. W- you know, after college or, you know, whenever, uh, whenever you want to start and let's go from there. Uh, so I was born, you mean way, way, (laughs) (laughs) we we can start whenever. (laughs) Yeah. So no, it's, but I, I am from New York. I'm uh, from uh, Westchester County, New York, and my family's uh, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island. So you might see a little bit of that in my, my voice, but I'm really pretty clean voiced. Uh, I'm, uh, I think it's an important part of my background is that, um, first of all, that I am the founder and CEO of Global Chamber. So really the focus of what our conversation is today is what I've been doing for the last five years, what I hope to be doing for the next 25 years uh, or longer if I'm, I'm allowed to do that, uh, which is to build the Global Chamber, which is building a chamber of commerce that's everywhere instead of just local uh, so that it helps companies that are growing across metros, but particularly companies that are growing across borders. And I'm sure we'll be able to talk more about that in a moment. My background, um, I'll just, and, and I'll turn it back to you is, is that I'm a chemical engineer. So one thing about chemical engineers is that we think in process terms. And if you don't, then refineries blow up because mm-hmm. normally chemical engineers define, uh, design refineries. And I did a little bit of that in my background. I went to work for the DuPont company, a big chemical company, and spent most of my career with them doing for a while uh, research and, and real chemical engineering work. Got five patents out of it, in fact. But really, my love was marketing and business building and global business. And so soon as I was able to finesse a uh, expatriate assignment in Asia, it was off. And I was basically going country to country, building different businesses for the DuPont company and haven't turned back uh, since. And, and fast forward, here we are uh, building global chamber around the world. And that's really what I love to do, helping companies around the world be more successful wherever they are, wherever they want to grow. When you when you were initially working in Dupont, were you working as an engineer, and then you started focusing on marketing and branding and sales? Um, I was in a program that required um, every two oh, years to have an assignment. Um, so it required that I do different things. And so actually, yes, my first assignment was as a chemical engineer in Beaumont, Texas. It's not the end. <laughs> It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And and I actually did like real chemical engineering work and I was the main engineer in the acrylonitrile plant. So, I mean, I've done that. Then I went on to do engineering design and then I went into a tech service 
part that was in the floral polymers business, which includes the Teflon business. And that was kind of, that was it. It was like, wow, now I'm touching customers and I'm touching people. And this really is what I that. really like to do. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, so then you started doing that. You, you, you became an uh, expatriate uh, and you were going to all these, these, uh, these countries to, to build DuPont, right? And then when did you start to, to build the business you, you're in right now? Yeah, I, I had actually started going, uh, and I was thinking about this, is that what I really love to do is just go country to country and show up in different places at, at our uh, prospective clients or actual clients and just solve problems. And, you know, there's a lot of people, in fact, most people can't do that and don't want to do that. But that's what I love to do is to be able to have that conversation. And so yeah. fast forward now, it's kind of what we do every day at Global Chamber. We have every kind of company get involved with us, and it always starts with a series of questions. You know, tell us what you're doing and what you want to do, and who do you want to have as a client? And we go through the same types of problems as what I used to do for the Hyundai company when they were a horrible company in Ulsan, Korea, terrible quality cars. I mean, the stuff I saw back in the 80s was horrific. Right. They've come so, so far in terms of their quality. It's amazing. And we have, and through me, hopefully, uh, come a long way in terms of being able to have a series of processes that we now do for our members to help them become good quality companies and fast growers. God, are you mainly focused on uh, seed companies or established companies? What are the, what is your main focus? Most companies can't do global. So that's why less than 1% of U.S. companies export uh, because most companies are just trying to sell across the street and they never get to the point where they're selling across the border. So what we typically work with definitely are companies that are a little bit further along and typically they might even be selling 30, 60, 70 countries already and they need some additional help um, because things happen along the way. So it's fairly rare that a startup company will be involved with Global Chamber. It would take a really smart owner a really smart founder to say, hey, you know, this thing could work around the world. They should be doing that a lot more, but typically they're not able to grasp it. Usually they're more focused in on whatever their product and services in those early, early startups, and they can't right. really beyond that. And so we like to mistake? work with- Do you think it's a really big mistake? Well, I think it depends, right? right. So if, if you can't, handle more than what your thing is, then you shouldn't handle more than your thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, the serial entrepreneurs get it, right? They, they can focus and they can think about right. markets at the same time. So we love working with serial entrepreneurs. We love working with you know, small mid-market and even large companies. It turns out most large companies don't really need us. The DuPonts of the world, they have all of their own resources. We love to involve them as speakers or donors to the process to help smaller companies be more successful. One thing I did notice all along the way was even when I was working with big companies, the small companies, they need help. They have big holes. They have big gaps in terms of their knowledge about how to do business internationally. And that's what we we work on filling in, not just giving them clients, but making sure they have the resources, whether it's legal or banking or marketing or whatever it ends up being so that they can be successful. Um, it's to me, when I, when I hear like uh, selling in a global market, 
it, it, is, it seems like it's really, really, really complex. Um, because you have different cultures, you have to kind of get a feeling of how to sell in that culture and as, as well as how to break into that market. Um, is that, would you agree with that? And, and, uh, and what, how, how would people proceed on if that's the, if that's your ultimate goal? I wouldn't describe it that way, that it's very complex. I would say that if you know how to do business, it's, it's another layer of complexity, right? You have to know cultures. Uh, you know, you sell in the U.S., you have to, to some level, right, know different cultures and different politics, right. Right. religions and different people. I mean, in the U.S., in one of the, uh, there is a diversity of people, so you have to have some level of different cultural sensitivities, I think, to, if you're going to sell to a broader market. So I would say it's it's a layer of complexity that um, once you've you've matured to the point where you know how to grow a business, then it it's the next level of evolution. Um, and so now you have to include different people, people who know how to export and how to classify things and how to do international tax and how to be the cross-cultural business if that's what you want to be. And so it's another layer of things that we love to do. We call ourselves the global tribe. The global tribe, we, you know, all we see in the world is global business. It's the 1% or five, maybe up to 5% of businesses we're always thinking, wow, this is really fascinating, this international world, that, that only U.S. business is dull, and it's not very exciting for us. And so we're energized, and, and we get really excited by the fact that we could start selling to Canada, Mexico, Asia, Africa, et cetera. Do you feel like there has to be like a, a certain uh, baseline before you start focusing on that? Like, obviously, you want to be established, but because I think what's what happens is what you repli what you create in United the United States will be replicated across the globe, and you have to really really have your systems in place in order to make that happen, right? I think to go international, you have to have your systems in place. That that yeah, part of course, of yeah, agree, right? So you so if you make a mistake internationally, it can be you know company ending. Um, so you, you want to make sure that you know how to do business. Um, that, that's absolutely for, sh for certain. So if there's any question about that, definitely stay close to home and work out the bugs, you know, if you will, uh, on, in a local market because the risk is a lot less. However, if, I mean, if you're a serial entrepreneur or you feel like you've got something that could be even more effective somewhere else versus the U.S., then you should be talking to people. And Pete, there's so many experts that know how to do this that it doesn't take long before you can be connected to people that can really get you to the next level. So, so I would say, you know, be, be aware of the world. Be, you know, talk to people who know about the world because whatever you're doing, it actually may have even more benefit and should have more benefit around the world. I, I mean, the U.S. is only, what, 5% uh, of the world's population? They say that uh, in the next five years, 85% of the world's business will happen outside the U.S. So if you wow. want to access the bigger opportunity, you definitely want to go outside the U.S. You don't want to be stuck in the U.S., quite honestly. It, it used to work in the 50s and 60s when the U.S. was kind of the main player and that, that was it. 
But if you really want to be successful international, be a successful large business and go after the big market, you definitely want to have global on your mind. How are you, uh, how are you facilitating the growth of these companies? Like what, what exactly are you doing to, to make sure that they capitalize on something like this? Well, I mean, we, we have a certain level of impact, right? In terms of when they join as a member, we have a conversation. So we go sure. through a series of questions and start to outline kind of where are they in this process. And so we start to connect them. And usually, you know, they don't need to be connected to a lot of resources. But through that questioning, sometimes that is the case. It's like, uh-oh, you, mm-hmm. you haven't thought intellectual property, you need to be talking to some people, you know, and then start making those connections. Normally, it's, it's clients, how, you know, where can I find clients for these things? And here are some ideas of where I can find them. So we have a database of over 30 million people that we can start making introductions to. And so we'll typically make a few introductions so that we can start to identify our understanding of their business. And if if they start to hit, like, wow, okay, that's, those are good ones, uh, then we can make some more. And if they're bad ones, then we want the feedback up front so that we really understand you know, what their business is and who their, their target clients are. But along the way, invariably, there is some level of connection that we have with the rest of their business. And we do try to stay in touch and ask questions along the way. So if there's a significant problem, like with the kinds of contracts they're writing, or, or I mentioned intellectual property, or the banking services that, you know, internationally, you typically need some different things in terms of to protect yourself. If we identify things like that along the way, we'll make those connections. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, so from what I gather, essentially what you do is you really create a, a, like a Rolodex and a, almost like a, a strong network for some of these business owners that want to expand. And uh, so I, the reason I like, like companies like yours is you focus on growth-minded entrepreneurs. I'm not really too interested in non-growth-minded entrepreneurs because I feel like they're they're probably going to die out at some point because I feel like if you're if you're not growing you're failing. Um, that's how I see things in business. But some people are like super happy with where they are and they become a little bit complacent. I feel, um, and so it just you know it's it's yeah, hard to. Those are sometimes you run into the lifestyle folks, right? So you see that everywhere. You know when you're in Arizona. Um, you know, there's retired people, right? People come to Arizona. Why? Because, you know, the, there's less traffic, it's less expensive, it's sunshine every single day. You know, who, who could go against that? It's, it's like, but that also means that they might be playing more golf and they may be just kind of easing into retirement. And so, yeah, I mean, I find those people honestly somewhat frustrating for us because, they're a lot less receptive typically to, to help. And here's what's kind of cool. We, we just installed a new database that's got artificial intelligence connected to it. And it rates the companies in the database on how aggressive they are in growth. You know, oh, so how, how are they doing? And so, so what was really cool, we went through some training last week. And what was cool was they showed a pipeline, like a typical pipeline with all of different things that might be in your pipeline. But then they said, we'll rate the companies 
from one to five, uh, one to six, I think it is, and six being high growth companies. And so let's take a look at the five and six growth companies, like the ones you really want to be working with. And now suddenly the whole picture changes, right? Because your pipeline is clogged up with a lot of honestly nonsense you know people who are just kind of golfing which is fine hey that's cool except i don't think i'm ever going to retire i don't think i'm ever going to retire do you think you're going to retire ever um my uh i run come from a family that uh, doesn't retire so i don't i don't i don't expect when my grandfather uh, he sold yeah. his uh, business in New York State. Uh, he, at 69 years old, became the oldest person in New York State to get a pilot's license. This was back, you know, back in the day at 69. And building up to that, uh, my grandmother thought he was having an affair. He didn't tell her he was taking his pilot's license and also <laughs> learning French. So he goes out one day and my grandmother followed him from the business in Queens, New York. And she, they show up at the airport together, her right behind. And he, she catches him and says, Joe, Joe, this is much, much worse than having an affair. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. <laughs> indeed, he was also, I mean, he loved business and he loved to stay engaged, but he loved, you know, his, his flying. And, and I'm not much of a flyer. I, don't, I never really got into that part of it, but I love mm -hmm. entrepreneurialism and I love seeing people successful and I love people seeing their dreams. And that's yeah. really a lot of what we get a pleasure from every day. How, in your business, how are you creating revenue? Is there like a monthly cost to being part of this network? There, there is, there, there's a membership fee associated yeah. with being part of Global Chamber. And that's kind of, that's kind of the trigger for us to, to get involved, to ask the questions, to start helping out. And then, you know, we'll help out along the way. And, one of the things, we're only five years old, but one of the things that I've learned over those five years is that we actually have to reach out to many of them because some people don't, you know, they join and then they, I don't know, they expect maybe some magical transformation to happen, you know, without any interaction. They don't show yeah. up, they don't yeah. attend, they don't, and then it's like, you know, the year's gone by and it's like, well, gee, I didn't get anything out of it. It's like, well, what did you do? Yeah, you, know, you, gotta, you gotta take advantage of it, yeah. Yeah, so what we do now is be, we engage them. So when people aren't you know, engaging, we actually reach out now to, to try to do that. And so there's a lot more engagement along the way. And I think that's a, that's a key part. Part of it, I think, is that have them knowing that someone cares about their success matters uh, some uh, to, to a lot of people. I think some people, it doesn't matter. They're not going to, you know, they're going to drift away. But the number of people like that for us is now a very, very small percentage because of the actions we've now taken that are more proactive. We, we love helping them. I think they sense that. What, what do you see uh, in most, like, why do you, uh, what do you see in most companies that makes them fail? And what do you see in, in most companies that uh, makes them succeed? Um, to some extent. Yeah, there's, there's several factors. I think one of them is they, they don't know what they don't know. You know, so they, they're not open to asking questions and to getting help. So they're just kind of plodding along thinking this is the right path and they get blindsided by something that probably could have easily been seen if they had just been speaking with people and talking with people and kind of figuring things out. So it does relate to what we just talked about where you want to be engaged with people. And, and I do think that's a lot of the, the value of, of Global Chamber that I've seen is that because of us reaching out, because of them connecting to our members, 
they learn a lot um, and they can talk through some of these things, which we encourage. So I think just having a communication channel with other people that have been there, done that uh, is a really key thing. So is that in like terms of like having a mentor or is that more, more so just knowing people that have a specific expertise? Like wh- how, how, are, how are these, how, what do you mean by that? So I think it relates to several things. It depends on the individual and what they want to get out yeah. of it. We have, um, you're probably familiar with Vistage, right? The uh, peer-to-peer advisory, which you know other organizations have it. We have something like that called export circles where we get exporters together and they talk about each other's problems and they solve those. And so that's a pretty wet way, right? That's a very integrated way of, of talking to people, sharing your, your good and bad in front of them and getting help in a very uh, uh, organized, but also a very involved way. It could be mentorship. We're starting a mentorship for women uh, right now with the Athena International Organization that does the Athena Awards to help women uh, because they often are, especially in other countries, feel very alone. Uh, places like Japan, even still, um, a, a woman CEO is kind of rare. And so to get the network and to get behavior that uh, they might have in the U.S. or in China or in India or some other country so that they can learn from that, we've created, a, uh, actually Athena has created a framework of leadership that allows them to learn more. So, so there are different levels of engagement involvement, whether it's a, a peer-to-peer like our export circles, or it's a mentoring program like what we're doing with Athena, or whether it's just getting on the phone and talking to people. We do, a, we do something called League of Extraordinaries, which gets um, service providers together. And it's called that because what we find is service providers who service exporters uh, are extraordinary, you know, because you've got to be better. You've got to be smarter. You've got to know the world at a higher level better than just dealing with business locally. And so when we connect these League of Extraordinaries together, they invariably connect up with each other. So if you're doing a payroll like a Safeguard Global, as an example, as an, an organization based in Europe, but U.S. Organ, uh, headquarters in Austin, they do international payroll. That's kind of tricky. And so they're dealing with companies that have elevated their game. And so suddenly now when we introduce them to an insurance company that does international work or a banking organization that does international work, they start to exchange information about companies that they're working with that need help. And so those are ways, again, kind of through the back door that we help companies um, get the resources they need to be successful. Interesting. Uh, okay, so can you give me an example of a company that, that is in your network that is uh, that would be really, well, from like the perspective of success, they've seen success and do you have like some insight as to how they have achieved what they've achieved? Sure. I mean, there, there are many, many of them, but I would say one would be one that's um, just was the exporter of the year. Actually, another organization, a sister city, uh, needed some an exporter of the year nominations. And so uh, they needed three nominations and we nominated uh, three and two of them won. And one of them was a company called Global Med. They do telemedicine. So you probably know, right? Telemedicine is, you know, you're, 
you're out in the desert and you're in a small town or you're in a, a country maybe and you need medical help, you don't have to go to the hospital. They'll do do the, the uh, diagnosis while you're wherever you are through telemedicine. So that's kind of a good fit for us because we can introduce them to you know, the, the, the right people in Tunisia or the right people anywhere. And so the, the reason why they won the Exporter of the Year Award is we had introduced them to the number one healthcare system in Argentina, which happens to be a member of Global Chamber. And through that connection, they started working together. They built a system over a period of a number of months and they, they rolled it out. And now it's the number one telemedicine system within Argentina. And they're, everybody's making money at this point. Interestingly enough, though, along the way, I got a call about several months in, um, and I've told both parties this, so it's somewhat public knowledge. The, the Argentines called me and said, why did you introduce me to these guys? It's, it's failing miserably. It's like, oh, my God. Okay. So this happens everywhere with every business, but I think internationally because there's a long distance and because there's more chances for communication to fail, it happens fairly often. So I immediately got on my phone to Global Med CEO, Joel, and, and said, hey, Joel, I need to talk to you. He called me back within a couple minutes and I told him what was going on and he was surprised to hear it. But within 24, 48 hours, we had them talking to each other. Long story short, Global Med ended up firing a couple people. Uh, they got the program back on track, and uh, and they became successful. But those are some of the things that are kind of that higher level types of performance that entrepreneurs need to have as they're growing internationally. You got to pay attention to what's happening. You got to got to receive information. You have to react to it. And one of the famous kind of characteristics of international business is to be flexible and to be resilient. And that's definitely part of becoming a successful international business. Resilience. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but is there anything that any insight you have regarding their processes regarding, you know, how they treat clients, clientele? Um, what are like certain things that really are our strengths of, of that company? They have a technology. So in their case, the technology is very right. strong. I'd say the, the next layer of, of strength is the listening capability. So when sure. basically their customer wanted to fire them, they were willing to listen intently about what the concerns were. And they actually walked through it to the point where eventually two people from their own company got fired because they had not been listening. And so processes are great, but sometimes the wrong people are in those processes. And so the fact that a company does something like that is not a failure. It's actually, you know, a success of the process. They, they listen, they recognize to be able to save the project. They need to make changes and the changes involve changing people. And, and not only then did they solve the problem, but I think more people within the company recognize that, Hey, you know, I better listen the next time because this, you know, that's, that's an important part of the process. Uh, okay. And so let me ask you this. How are you currently right now generating leads for, for your network right now? I'm kind of curious because I, I know you, like before we like started recording, you were mentioning like event, events and things like that. I want to get your like ideas on like how, how events help you build your business because I'm, I'm, I'm actually, my eyes have been open to, I've done three, we've done three events, but my eyes have really been open in the last like year or so to events. Like I'm very, um, very, 
motivated to do uh, more events. But yeah, tell me your thoughts. Okay. So, you know, it, for us, what's worked so far is that, you know, we have a tribe. You know, the global tribe are people who have special capabilities, and they they haven't been grouped into a tribe before. Um, there, there are schools, like Thunderbird School of Global Management is the top international business school, which is a member sponsor of, of Global Chamber, and they call themselves the T-Bird Life, you know, and and if you go to, and if you know anybody who's gone to Thunderbird and you talk to them, they have a mentality that's very international and very global, but it also is very limited to Thunderbird. You know, I went to the University of Utah and Michigan State, and so it doesn't help me with becoming a T-Bird life, although <laughs> honestly, in retrospect, they've given me kind of some honorary uh, aspect because I, I, I have some of the same qualities. But I want anybody from any school in any country to be able to, to link up with other people that have this mentality. And that's honestly the uh, understanding the mentality of globally minded people has been a key part because when we make the first layer happy, they tell the next layer and then the next layer. And I uh, mentioned, I think maybe earlier that, you know, 99% uh, of companies don't export. So that means it's a small fraction of companies. So we're not looking for everybody, only one in a hundred, you know, or maybe, you know, we, we'd love to have, you know, five in a hundred that aspire to become international. And I think that's a fair, a, a fair goal, but typically has been hand-to-hand -hand combat for us. You know, beyond that, absolutely events can help and we do events in, in communities including there in southern california we do we do events because it's important to get face to face with people um for us events are somewhat secondary it's more of a marketing tool just to let people know yeah. that this you know and that's an important thing the main value that we create are these connections and that happens some you know often at an event right we can we can yeah. connect people at an event but the way we normally do it is through these through these other systems to have events. Yeah, you have to, it, it. It helps people are actually visually see how it works, and there is a person behind all of this, and so it's a it's a key part of our marketing as well. Absolutely, uh, I uh, I definitely have been sold on events. Um, I I just love I love doing events. I think it's just one one tool. In the in, in your business that you can use to to exponentially grow, um, it just builds a lot of credibility in general, and it's it's really it's, it's awesome. I love it. Um, yeah. And part of part of why we any of us do what we're doing is because we like it, and and usually we're pretty good at it. And so in my own case, I know that that problem solving attribute has always been a strong point that I've always loved to do. But I've also noticed over the years that I moderate things pretty well. And so what I try to do is find for our chapters around the world, whether it's the four chapters in California or the 525 chapters we have around the world, I look for somebody who's connected, who's entrepreneurial, and that can facilitate and moderate and lead a community into you know, a tribe within, you know, whether it's um, in Tokyo, Japan, or whether it's in Tucson, Arizona, 
um, it, there are certain characteristics that we're always looking for for uh, anyone to be able to lead a chapter and to move it on. And so I, I spend a lot of time you know, training. Uh, every month we have a new group of people come in to set up a next la layer of training. This month, one of the new chapters is Tel Aviv in Israel. And the fellow there turns out is like Mr. Super Connector. He knows everybody in Israel that is very, very well, well connected there. Um, and, you know, we rely now on Tao going forward. We just need to give him a few tips on how to set up the chapter and hopefully he'll take it from there and become very successful. I love it. I love it. So uh, with, with regards to your community right now, what, what are you mainly, what, what is the criteria that you're looking for regarding people who want to join? If they, they have a growth mindset. They want to be in global markets, but there, is there any like, is there any re revenue limit that you're focused on? Like, you know, at least be doing this much in revenue or. No, we're, we're open on that. You know, they don't, I mean, if they're, if they're interested to grow, then we're interested in them. So, but typically I would say most of the better, uh, uh, more active members are in the 10 to a hundred million revenue range, because that means they've got some of the, the bugs out of their system. Um, uh, in, so that so they know how to do payroll and they you know there's a variety of kind of basic type stuff uh, now they're ready to take on the world so that's normally what we target and the ones we know that need the most help and it could be you know hundreds of millions and it could be under 10 million but we typically target within within that range and then um, you mentioned about the growth interest. That certainly is number one. Uh, they want to grow. Everybody we talk to that's interested wants to grow. Um, and now mm -hmm. it becomes a matter of, you know, is this a good fit for them in terms of getting warm introductions and, you know, the process that we use to help connect them both to clients and resources. And so we go through that. If it's a fit, we go, we go from there. And if they're in Indianapolis or New York or Paris or wherever, we connect them, of course, to our local people and they take it from there. And but then we have a we have an operations center in Puerto Rico where if they're in Paris and they want to grow back into the U.S. or in, they're in Miami and they want to grow to Moscow, you know, we have ways of connecting them from wherever they are to wherever they are. And it's it's our daily fun. I love it. I love it. Okay. So if somebody's listening to this podcast and they want to reach out to you in some way, maybe they want to be part of your group, how would they do so? Globalchamber.org. So that's Globalchamber. Do you mind if I ask you how many members you have in your group right now? Yeah, we're, um, we, we've grown, we're at five years old. We've doubled in size for the last four years in a row. And we're wow. now approaching 3,500 members. Um, I was recently introduced, and when I say members, I mean organizations. And so it's you know many tens of or hundreds of thousands of people in terms of the, the companies themselves. I was recently introduced to a guy named Ben Meisner of uh, an organization called BNI. And so they, I've been chatting with him back and forth by email, and I look forward to the opportunity to speak with him. They have over 100,000 organizations. And that's certainly something that we aspire to around, you know, this is around the world to have that many organizations as part of the global chamber. The good news, though, is in the meantime, we have over 30 million people in our database, most of whom are not members. So a lot of times we connect people to non-members, which is fine because 
when we do that, the non-member starts to realize, wow, hey, this is a really good connection. Tell me more about how this works. Maybe I should be doing some of that. So that's also one of the ways we get members is we introduce prospects to of, to, to members and they start to understand the quality of the people that are part of global chamber and the kinds of things that we do. And again, the word of mouth um, happens fast. I, I feel like there's too many like groups out there. that don't have like a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be some type of barrier to entry to most events or just groups in general, because then that obviously uh, improves the quality in the room when you invite yeah. people um and uh yeah i think i think to me that's just how i see it yet i one of the things that we do run into is people who want to join for no fee right and so i get the thing where yeah but i'll give you a commission if you do this and that and we just don't do that for the reason that you just went through if they don't pay up front if at least there's not that little bit of a barrier then um, they're not fully committed um, and we don't like to work with those people, um, honestly. They're not committed and they're lazy and lazy uh, doesn't cut it with us. We want to have good uh, receptivity and we, yeah. we work very hard and we want them to work hard as well. But uh, yeah, and maybe, maybe may or may not be lazy, but they're not willing to pay for something that's valuable to them. And so that makes them, you know, kind of like for me, like when, when, for my events, you know, we, we have a barrier to entry, obviously. And, and uh, you know, some people want to come for free and we're like, dude, you, like you should see how much we're paying, you know? And uh, you know, so um, it's, it's really important to have that barrier to entry because you don't want to have people there that wouldn't be valuable to the members, the other members. There, there's almost like a level of like, when you have this barrier to entry, there's almost a level of like when they're in the room, there's, it's, it's already elevated. There's no net, there's no, uh, there, there's not a necessity to build up the room. It's already elevated because of that barrier to entry, it seems. Well, I think there's several ways to get the barrier. Um, I mean, one of them certainly is fee. Another one is, you know, vetting with, with people that you already know, right? And because, you know, we think we know some really amazing people, we ask them, who else do you know, you know, that is amazing like you? Um, and so that is another way that we bring in high quality people. And sometimes they don't pay. Yeah, you know, we, we work it out so that Um, like for events, we'll let them come to events for free because events for us are not um, the the be-all and end-all. It's mainly just to expose them to what we're doing. And so sometimes we'll let them come to events for free because we just want to share what we're doing. We know it's pretty cool. And for people where it's a good fit, it's going to be a good fit. If it's not a good fit, let's, let's figure it out right from the right from the get-go. Um, but then when we actually start working, like we find uh, members for or clients for them and where we find resources and now, now we have our brain working for them. And, you know, we, you know, sometimes have nightmares or dreams about them because we're thinking about how do we make this work to get that level of commitment from us? Yeah. You've got to pay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, it's good. It's good to have that. Because I've, I've done free events and they just don't work. Free events or free, free networking groups and free events, they, they're just not all that effective, in my opinion. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. The I mean, free events are, you know, you'll get you know, what you, you get, right? Um, you get, um, it's rare, the percentage of people who will come to that that are going to be a, of a high quality of, for whatever your organization is, it's going to be a lot, a lot trickier. So yeah, we, in our case, we actually, um, for our, all of our events, almost all of our events are free for members. Um, but there's a fee for being a non-member to attend an event. And so that's the, maybe a little bit of a different twist on things. I don't think there's very many organizations that yeah. say, Hey, it's free if you're, a member because we want them involved. We want them connected. We want them engaging with other members. And so we want that barrier to be low, but for non-members, yeah, we want them to make some sort of a commitment to, to come in. There are exceptions too. Like if, if you have somebody that you just really want to help out um, and they're really dedicated and you can see that they're committed for me that personally, like I, I want to be able to, um, to influence anyone that needs help. Um, so I, I definitely am open to that, but for somebody that's like, no, I don't want to pay for something like that. I, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I just shut off. I'm like, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm interested well, so, in having you attend. So, yeah. so now this is actually one of the cross-cultural things that becomes important for us because some, I mean, what you're saying is true at, at one level, but I will say that in some cultures, it's very unusual for people to pay up front and then get the service later. And so Mexico, as, as an example, that kind of, kind of normal business practice that we in the U.S. understand as normal um, is unusual uh, in Mexico. And so in, in other countries, we very often need to be a lot more flexible and so we'll do things like you know in mexico very often they'll pay some fraction of the membership fee and then pay it the rest of it over time or you know that, that kind of a thing so that we we've kind of split the difference if you will because of their own cultural issues we also have by the way in other in other countries you know, the 500 to 5,000 range that we have for membership in the U.S., you know, $5,000 in Nepal is, is a lifetime of work, you know, so you can't charge 5,000 or even 500 for most companies uh, in Nepal. We have to be more flexible than that. So we find other ways to be able for compensation to happen. So that's where the, the cross-cultural thing becomes important because everything you said is true until you've now gone to other countries and you've got to be able to have some flexibility and resilience. That's uh, true. You? That's true. Um, I agree. And uh, so let, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, what is, what is the cost of, of going, getting into your network? What is, what is that? So the, the range is the 500 to 5,000. So 500 to 5,000. Gotcha. So, yeah, so an, an entrepreneur that's up to five employees is 500 and, the, and we have a lot of those. And then the next level is up to 50. It's $1,250 a year. Uh, and then it's 2,500 and then 5,000. And then we'll work with people in between that are tweeners. So like some, <laughs> we had a member sign up yesterday that was six, um, six employees and you know it's up to five is 500 and then it goes to 1250 of course in that case uh, we made it the 500 and then it turns out that one is a, um, a uh, we do have a commission structure so one of the things that we also do that's maybe a little bit different than a lot of chambers is we do have an affiliate program 
where where companies are willing to give a percentage. We love that because we make all these introductions. Why not get paid for them? So so whether it's American Express, who's a member and a sponsor, or um, or a, a, an IT company in Sonora, Mexico, that's looking to sell into the U.S. their IT services. We have a variety of affiliate members where we make a, a, a revenue stream, which we love. Everybody wins on that. Uh, affiliate members, as in um, people that sell uh, access to your group, right? No, they're selling their own services. So, um, oh, gotcha. Okay. So it wouldn't be a lawyer because lawyers aren't allowed to do that. Yeah, an IT, yeah. An IT service or a marketing company, actually the one that was six employees, it's a, um, it, that's a marketing company. So they do a specific marketing service and you know they want introductions to a certain type of person. And so, sure, we're happy to do that. We just need to know who they are, where they are. They, they focus in on across anywhere in the U.S. And that's interesting. That's pretty easy for us to do. So we can make the introductions. We, of course, have to track what's going on, right? Like, which ones did we give? And it's not normal for a lot of these companies to necessarily, you know, within their own processes, come back and pay a referral fee. So we have to pay attention to most of those. American Express, honestly, is probably <laughs> the only one that has been really better than us in terms of tracking it. And so every month we get a... Uh, a, um, a very specific report with a very a detailed calculation of what the, the commission is, and it gets directly deposited. Oh, I love that. I love that. Cool. I love that. I love that. Okay, cool. So thank you for doing the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, and I uh, just have a, a quick question for you. But again, how, how do people get uh, a hold of you on uh, LinkedIn or through email? So um, I'm Doug Brunke, as you, as, as you can tell. And so Brunke is t difficult to spell, but if you probably do Doug at Global Chamber in LinkedIn, you can find me. I have a pretty, pretty large network there. And we didn't talk much about LinkedIn, but LinkedIn actually is also a way that we find people. So you can imagine like if you're trying to find somebody in uh, Cote d'Ivoire uh, or in uh, uh, Wagadougou Burkina Faso, and you, they don't have a LinkedIn profile, you know, how do you really know that they're real? Um, and mm. my answer to that is you don't, um, or you have to spend a decent amount of money to do a lot of research. And so I actually use LinkedIn to be able to determine not the validity of somebody in Wagadougou Burkina Faso, but in New Orleans, you know, because I want to see where they went to school. I want to see, you know, their background. I want to see who, you know, what their, how big their connection is. So definitely reach out to me, Doug, at Global Chamber, whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's uh, at Global Chamber. Uh, happy to talk to you about your global expansion. We love people to grow internationally, no matter where you are, no matter where you want to grow. Awesome.